Well, I just want to thank uh, each and every person that came up here to do readings today. Um, it's, uh, I thought it would be meaningful to me anyway, uh, that this would be a very interactive uh, message today, very interactive time. We are living in a tremendously important time in our world and in our lives. You just think about what's happened over the past year, where the front runners for one of the political parties in the, in the race for, camp, for president of the United States were a woman and a black man. These two individuals, if it were more than, oh, about a century ago, wouldn't have even been allowed to vote. And now there are front runners in candidacy for the president of the United States. And not only that, but on Tuesday, we are going to swear into office the 44th president of the United States, who is an African-American man raised or from a family with a white mother and a black father. And against pretty much all odds, won the election of the president of the United States based on one idea, that yes, we can, that change is possible. And really, no matter what side of the aisle you are on, whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, Green Party, whatever you happen to be, you got to admit, that's a pretty amazing feat. And it's a symbol of change, symbol of transition, symbol of a time when things are being turned on its head, things that we always thought were the norm, things that we may have thought were going to continue on for forever and forever. In fact, as this year has started off and uh, many things have uh, come into our lives and we've seen our country go through a lot of uh, transition, my, my beautiful wife, Becca, has termed this year, the year 2009, as the year of transition. Whether it's our, our country that is a, in an economic tailspin with auto dealer bailouts and bank bailouts and just the dollar weakening, which is affecting everything in our world. We have missionary friends overseas that are going to have to come back to the United States because the dollar is so weak that they can't afford to live overseas anymore and they have to come back and figure out how they're going to raise support to go back overseas to carry the good news of Jesus Christ over there. And, and then... In our own family, personally, it's a time of change. If you would have told me even three months ago that we would not be serving here at Artisan starting in 2009, I would have thought you were crazy. I would have thought you were ridiculous. I love this church. This church has been my passion for five years now. And so this is a big change, a big transition. And I'm coming to the understanding that in our world, <clears throat> the only thing that you can be absolutely sure of is that there is nothing that you can be absolutely sure of. 
<laughs> but during these unsettling times, I think we need an anchor. We need something that we can hold on to. We need some kind of bedrock that we can find footing on that will allow us to weather the storm. It will keep us focused on our goal, our prize. And as I was thinking about this, this last message, this, this final time that I get to speak to you, what is it that I want to leave with you? And it also just happens that we already had a series planned out that I had to speak about calling. So I'm going to weave these together as best I can. As we think about that anchor, that bedrock that you need in your life during these times of change, I think there's one truth, among others, but one that you can hold on to. And this is the truth. That your life has great meaning and great significance. You are not just a number. You are not the low person on a totem pole. You are not just an ID badge. You are not a rat in a race. But that you are significant. You are valuable. That each and every person sitting here this morning has a purpose and has a plan. Each and every one of you has a calling. One of the scriptures that was not read this morning, but I think speaks very pointedly to this calling, is found in 1 Peter 2. And I invite you on your bulletins to write these down and check these out these, this week. So 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his footsteps. For to this you have been called. The word in the original language is kaleo. And it's a very interesting word because I think it drives home that idea of the solid bedrock truth that you are called, that you have a plan and a purpose. Now, I like the original languages and I like you know, seeing all the little nuances in there. So this might not mean a lot to many of you. This might mean something to some of you. But see, in the original language, the, the tense of the word is an aorist, passive, indicative. Write that down. Check that out this week. What that means, aorist might not mean that much. In fact, there's really no good translation directly from the Greek to the English. But what it means is, is maybe what makes more sense is what it's not. It's not future. Eris means that it's now. Passive means that the subject of the sentence, that is you, are receiving the action. That you are the, the subject of the action or the, the called. And the indicative is a simple statement of fact. Fact that either has already happened or will happen. But it is a fact. Each and every person here is kaleo, is called. To this you are called. 
In our readings today, I hope you paid attention to these readings. I hope, they, I hope you heard them. I know we did things a little bit differently here this morning, kind of a more high church reading in the, in the very liturgical sense of an Old Testament reading, a kind of a wisdom literature confession or responsorial. Then we had a New Testament reading and then the gospel reading. That's, uh, some of you might grow up in a church that had a very high liturgy, and that would be very familiar to you. And some of others are going, why did we do that this morning? But hopefully you heard the words that were shared this morning. In John's gospel message, you see these two people, Philip and Nathaniel. And maybe you all have had some kind of experience like Philip or Nathaniel. Have you ever sat in a sermon? Or you sat, maybe it was you were, when you were watching Barack Obama give his acceptance speech. Or you were staying up late at night, 3 o'clock in the morning, and that person on TV started speaking to you. Whether it was a pastor or some other moving message or something on TV, you, you, there was something about what that person said that you just, wow, they must know me. They must know what's going on in my heart because that's exactly what I needed to hear. I spoke about a week ago at uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at RIT. And one of the guys there came up afterwards and he's like, man, I've been struggling all week with direction and having a plan. And you came and you gave your message and it was exactly what I was struggling with. It's exactly what I needed to hear. Have you ever had an experience like that? Well, see, that's the experience of Nathaniel. Jesus sees Nathaniel after Philip comes and says to Nathaniel, come on, there's, there's this guy. We think, we think he might be the one. He might be the Messiah. And so Nathaniel comes to see Jesus, and as he's approaching, Jesus says to him, here's an Israelite in which there is no deceit. Interesting phrase. Nathaniel responds to him in verse 48 of John 1 and says, where did you get to know me? Modern vernacular, you don't know me. <laughs> but Jesus responds, I saw you under the fig tree before, before Philip called you. In other words, I knew that Philip was going to go after I greeted Philip to go see you, and I knew he was going to tell you about me, and I knew you were going to come and talk to me. In other words, Jesus is presenting himself as someone that has a prophetic gift, has a vision gift, has the ability to see into the future. And then John, uh, Nathaniel's response, Jesus, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. It's this divine conviction that as we understand how well we are known by God, by Jesus, as we understand that every hair on our head is numbered, that we are cared for beyond our understanding. As we grow in that understanding, we understand that our divine calling, our conviction is to say, Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel. When you know how well you are known, 
you will tell people about Jesus. To this, you are called. Some of you, as you think about a calling in your life, you might be saying to yourself, you've got an internal struggle going on. You might be thinking that, you know, I'm a broken person. There is no way that God could call me to do something. There is no way, because if you knew what I have done, if you knew the thoughts that are going on in my head, even right now, if you knew the hurt that I have caused, if you knew how much of a failure I am, you would understand that God could not use me. God could not call me. And friends, let me tell you right now that God specializes in calling the hurt and the lost and the broken. And in fact, I believe the most effective people that are called are the ones that are called out of pain, out of brokenness, and are called to healing in Christ. The New Testament passage in 1 Corinthians 6 talks about this, this internal struggle, this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Verses 19 and 20 say that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You see, yes, you might be broken. Yes, you may have failed. Yes, you may have sin in your life. But friends, Jesus paid the price for that. You don't need to hang on to it anymore. You don't need to let that keep you down. When Jesus was nailed to the cross as he was dying, one of his last words was tetelestai, which means it is finished, paid in full. In fact, it is a very legal term. What would happen is, is if you went into an agreement with someone, say I wanted to borrow money from somebody, we'd write up the contract and on the front we'd put the terms of the contract that the money would be paid back in a year or two years or however long the contract was for. And then it would be rolled up and sealed. And when that contract was finished, when it was paid in full, the word tetelestai would be written across the back of that contract. Jesus declares that yes, you may have sin in your life, you may be broken, you may be failure, you may be living in the flesh, but I paid the price for all of that. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body, with all that you are, with all that you have. Just as God raised Jesus from the dead, because Jesus paid the price, our hope is that we also will be raised in newness of life for an eternity with Christ our Lord and Savior. You were bought with a price. Glorify God with all that you have. To this, you are called. The psalm tells us that not only were you bought with a price, but even from your very beginnings, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. And I encourage you this week, since it was an adaptation of Psalm 139, if you have not read Psalm 139, to go home this week 
and read it. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. My undergrad experience is in, the, is in biology. I, I was molecular genetics. And one of the most fascinating courses that I took in my five years in undergrad was a course called Developmental Biology. It's a course where we studied what happens from the point at which a, a sperm and an egg come together all the way through the next nine months to the point at which that child is born. And friends, if you have any doubt that there is a God, you need to study developmental biology. Because for that, those two half cells to come together and form one whole cell that then divides into two, and the two divide into four, and the four divide into eight, and it keeps going, and it makes this blastula, and it folds in half, and just all the differentiation of these cells into arms and legs and hair and eyes and toes. And it is a miracle that any of us exist. You are beautifully, fearfully, and wonderfully made. And not only that, but Ephesians 2.10 says this, and this is from the NIV. But this is also the verse that kind of drives us here at Artisan. The verse says that you are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. That you are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for you to do. You are beautifully and wonderfully made, each and every person sitting here. You may be saying to yourself, you know, no, I, I'm broken, I'm flawed. No, friend, do not criticize the work of God. You are beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are made for a purpose. You are made for those works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Friends, to this, you are called. Some of you may have experienced in your life a type of divine calling, the type of calling that we see in the first Samuel passage. Some of you may have experienced God speaking into your life and saying, I want you to do pastoral ministry. I want you to do, become a teacher. I want you to become a bus driver. Because God knows we need good bus drivers. But some of you might be saying, you know what? I don't think God can call me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too poor. I'm too uneducated. But you see, this passage in Samuel tells us that that doesn't matter. When God calls he knows exactly who he's calling. 1 Samuel 3, verse 7 says that now Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of God, the word of the Lord, had not yet been revealed to him. So, one way to think about this is that he probably has not had his bar mitzvah yet. He has not been be, uh, given the law, he is not a son of the law yet. So, he's probably under the age of 13. He could be anywhere up to the age of 20, but most likely he's very early in his teenage years. And yet God takes this tweener 
and says, I'm going to give you one of the most important messages that Israel has ever heard. So important that people's ears are going to be itching just to hear it. So no, you are not too old. You are not too young. You're not too busy. You are not too uneducated. You are not too educated to be of use to God. When God calls, He knows who He is calling. I can relate to Samuel because when I was 13 years old, I grew up in a very high church, a church that had that very liturgical style, and, and the pastor was up in the pulpit giving his homily. And as clear as I am talking to you today, I heard the word of God in my heart. I heard God speak to me saying, I want you to do what he is doing. That was God's divine call in my life. Now, being a 13-year-old male in the Roman Catholic Church, looking at a celibate priest in the pulpit, being, having God tell me, I want you to do what he is doing, I had some issues with that. And for the next 10 years, I ran away from that. But God understood his calling. God understood what the path would be to get me to where he wanted me to be. And even in my rebellion, God was working. God may be calling some of you divinely. God may have given you a verbal maybe not audible, but uh, uh, speaking to your heart, saying, I want you to be a pastor. And you may not see how that is going to be possible at this point. Maybe it's not the voice of God speaking into your life in a, in a way like that, but maybe it's more of a passion that you have, a, something that you feel inside. Maybe it's your word, the, the word of God in, in just this urge that you need to do something. Maybe, maybe you look at kids and you say, man, I love kids and I love teaching them. And God has given you that passion for teaching children. Friends, to this you are called. Maybe you have the, just that yearning in your spirit when you're walking down the street, when you see somebody pushing one of those wrecky old Grocery carts filled with bottles and other things. Or maybe it's not even an outward thing that you can see, but you can look into somebody's eyes and you can just see an emptiness. And you have that desire to reach out to them, whether it's through food or, or something to drink or through just a moment of your time. To this you are called. That is God's divine calling in your life. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what your divine calling is. Maybe God has created you with an amazing gift and a passion for music. To this you are called. Glorify God in your body and all that you have. I do not know what it is for you. But what I do know is that each and every person here, whether you've already made the decision or it will be a decision that you will make sometime in the future, each and every person here is called of God.
In closing, I want to end where we began. That verse from 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you should follow in His steps. Friends, you are called to a life of action. You are called to a life of steps in the way of Jesus. Friends, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Hear that. Your body is not your own. You were bought with a price. And you are known better by God than you know yourself. Jesus left you an example so that you can follow in His footsteps. Those are steps of compassion. Those are steps of mercy. Those are steps of healing and grace. Those are steps of selflessness and sacrifice. Friends, to this, you are called. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for this time of the year when we remember, when we look at the life of Jesus, when we see how Jesus reached out to these poor, unknown, uneducated people and said, follow me. Father, thank you for your word that reminds us because of what Jesus has done, because of his sacrifice, because of the life that he lived, because of the death that he died, because he rose again, that it is to this that we are called. Father, Help us to leave this place changed. Help us to leave this place knowing that no matter who we are, no matter what our failings, no matter what our successes, that we are called of you with a divine calling to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Lord, it is in the name of Jesus, our Lord, that we pray these things, that we ask your grace and your filling of your Holy Spirit to go into the world and do that which we are created and called to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I think it's, it's fitting that as we, uh, as we respond to God's Word, we respond in a way that is, uh, is communal. Uh, we call this communion. It's good to know that as uh, my family and I transition away from here, that wherever we go, wherever we end up, one of the most blessed things is knowing that when we come together at table, wherever we are, we are connected with you through this act of remembrance in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's very much 
one of the purposes of this meal. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he gave the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his friends and his followers and all that were gathered around the table. And he said, take this and eat it. And may it be a reminder to you of, of my broken body, the, the suffering that I've gone through, the life that I have lived. And when you do this, remember me. No matter where you are, remember me. After his supper was ended, he took the cup and he passed it to everyone and he blessed it. And he said to them, take this and drink it. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Let it be a reminder to you of the blood that was shed for you, the price that was paid that finished the contract, that the wages of sin is death, but I've paid that wage. Because of that, you can have life and life eternal. So let's, let's come together at table as family, take a piece of the bread, dip it in either the wine or the juice, whichever is more appropriate for you, and take and remember Jesus, his sacrifice, the price that was paid. And thank God for the eternal life that we can have in him. The table will remain open for the remainder of our time, even as music is playing and people might be milling about. So I invite you to take time, either think about, meditate on God's word, excuse me, that was shared earlier. If you would like to pray, I'll be sitting in the front row. If you have a, a prayer request or, or just something you want to talk about, I'll be sitting up there. You can come chat with me. And I encourage everyone... If you are on the path with Christ, if Christ were here today inviting you to table, saying, come and eat with me, if your response to that would be yes, come to table and remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen.